0: All right, Proverbs 21, and uh, let's look at verse 28 and 29. Tonight, Proverbs 21, and uh, verses 28 and 29. A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. That's an interesting one, huh? The one that heareth speaketh constantly. I have a couple, well, anyway. I know people who speak constantly constantly. Anyway, we'll get into that. Verse 29, a wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that you share with us, these little nuggets of wisdom that are priceless to us and that instruct us in our lives in practical ways. I ask that you would open the word to us tonight, help us to glean, to uh, be enriched uh, by the wealth of wisdom that you share with us, that we would see this as our heritage and that we would know how we ought to live based on what you say here in your word. I pray that um, you would especially guide me as I guide your people in the word. I pray that I would be able to lay out the, the meaning plainly and then apply it faithfully And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Again, verse 28, A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. The more you repeat a lie, the more you believe the lie. A false witness shall perish. The same can be said for the truth, of course. Repeating the truth helps to cement it in your mind, but we all know how easily bad habits form, and how easily good habits are broken. You, you know what I mean. We, we can repeat the truth many times and then not repeat it for a couple months, and then it's gone, and you can't remember it. But a lie will stick with you sometimes till the day you die. But the same thing can be said for slanders and deceptions and half-truths. When you repeat them, you begin to believe them. So many sins are committed when we repeat a slander. It really is an act of hatred. The lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted thereby. It doesn't have to be a lie to be a slander. I'll say that. Because a slander is destructive to the person that you slander. Um, I'll come back to that. In many ways, a slander is a violation of the sixth commandment because of the injury it does to the one you slander. That's why Jesus, when he gave the higher... Um, extent of the law. He said that if you say if you hate your brother you're guilty of murder. If you say thou fool you're in danger he said of hellfire. Uh, Because there is a um, when we do that we are assaulting their person we are it's it's an attack on them intended to bring them down to make them to disgrace them to make them look bad slanders prove that you have a very loose conscience and an utter want of that charity which covers instead of exposing faults as charles bridges said hatred stirreth up strifes But love covereth all sin. All sins, I'm sorry. So when you repeat a matter, when you repeat something that someone did or said that puts them in a bad light, there's slander involved in that. It is an act of hatred. A clear-cut case of rejoicing in iniquity rather than rejoicing in the truth. When you... When you repeat slanders, there's a certain pleasure that it gives you to repeat it and gives you to see the, the shock, the horror on the face you, of the person you repeat it to. And so it's about you. And so uh, it is a way that we rejoice in iniquity rather than rejoicing in the truth. Because why would you repeat a slander? except that you are rejoicing in it. The proverb speaks of a false witness. What does that have to do with slander, a false witness? Well, slander is false witness. And I say this again, even if the slander is true, it's still false witness in this sense. Now, there are are some cases where you need to warn people about things, but that would not be slander either. Slander is a lie that you repeat or sometimes the truth that you repeat about a person that casts them in a negative light contrary to their character. All right, that's, I think, a good working definition of what a slander is. It is a lie or a truth. That you say, that you tell about someone else that puts them in a negative light, contrary to their character. It's intended to undermine their character. Look, all of us have our moments, right? Where we do things that if you repeat what that person did, you can disgrace them for a long time to come. I was... Um, with some friends we were staying in a house I've got to be careful how I say this I want to be careful how I say it um, but uh, it was it was a rental house and we were just enjoying some time downtime and the people who owned the rental house had um, a case of beer in the refrigerator and you know what do you do with that take it and pour it all out and then they think you drank it all right Um set it outside, I don't know. It was in there and uh, there were a bunch of cans in there and uh, it, w- it wasn't in the box or anything. It was just all loose in the refrigerator and we had cans of pop in there and one guy grabbed one of those cans of beer and broke it open and and then bah! all over the place. But it would be very easy to say, yeah, I saw him drink a beer. I was standing right there when he did it right even though that is contrary to his character it would be you can do that and destroy a person by doing it destroy their reputation because see <clears throat> here's here's why i say even a truth told about that person that puts them in a negative light that doesn't really fit with their character, but undermines people in their confidence in that person. When you Here's why it's a problem. A slander is a snapshot of one of our less than stellar moments. It's a snapshot. Look, we all know you can doctor a photo, right? Sometimes you don't need to doctor it. It's just an embarrassing picture right there. My old youth pastor likes to pass around some old pictures of me from when I was in high school. And he did some activities that were meant to embarrass because it was the 80s and that's what you did with teens. You always just designed something to cause deep-seated embarrassment and that was considered fun. And so we had nerd night. We had activities like we got on a... Um, uh, um, man my mind uh, <laughs> I'm really losing it here I can picture it it was, it was a skateboard we got on a skateboard and we had plungers and we had to pull ourselves across the gym and of course he's snapping pictures right? like a good youth pastor right and then he has and of course he had a nerd dress up contest which I won <laughs> I want you to know now, I didn't have to change my clothes either. I just came in. They said, you're the winner. And, but he has pictures of that, which he likes to pass around and show to people as well. And people use it for blackmail. That's what I'm telling you about it. All right, but a snapshot is a captured moment. And a slander captures a moment in your life that is embarrassing and repeats it, shares it, shows it to everybody. And the more you repeat a slander, the more you begin to believe that about that person. You begin to believe that that person really is a nerd, really is a doofus, really is incompetent. Because you repeat fails. You repeat those fail moments, right? And you tell others about it. And then others are not sure that they should trust you. If you're in the habit of repeating slanders. You are preparing yourself to lie about that person under oath. Now that's what the proverb is talking about. The false witness there. Lying under oath. There of course there is malicious lying under oath. But there also are people who have been conditioned To believe a certain thing about a person and about their character who then will slander that person, bear false witness against them. Because you'll believe the lies about that person and you'll swear to the truth of those lies. Now God wants us to be wise in the matter of our tongues. That's why so much of the book of Proverbs is dealt dealing with the tongue because we need wisdom with our tongue as much as anything. It's therefore necessary that we be careful about what we say so that we aren't hardening our hearts against the truth. Be very careful not to repeat a thing unless you're absolutely certain of its truth and certain that the person you're telling it to needs to know that there's an absolute necessity for them to understand this. Never repeat a thing that will put a person in a bad light unless it is safety, it is necessary for the safety of others. Okay? Look, there, there are people who come into churches And they have an investment opportunity that they want to let you in on. There was a guy that did it in this area. An investment opportunity. He wanted to let people in on. It was a really great thing. And he was only offering it to Christians because it was so great. There's a sign in that. Don't do it. Right? You walked away with Every investment, everyone who invested had to invest $100,000. And he walked away with all 100 of those $1,000 that he kept himself from everybody. He was an equal opportunity um, pillager, thief. So if that guy comes into this church, look, I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to say, hey, listen, he might be a nice guy, probably is. Just don't give him any of your money. Don't believe him on the investment opportunity that he has. Don't buy it, okay? We have to be careful about that. But all of that in introduction to the Proverbs. Usually, I don't preach it until the end. And here I am preaching it at the beginning. The Proverbs speaks in particular of matters of testimony in a court of law. But of course, we know that there are other less formal times when you will give testimony about a person as to their character, uh, as to their reliability and so on. And a false witness, a lying, deceiving witness, the Bible says, is an abomination to the Lord. God hates that, hates it. Now, anytime that the Bible tells you that something is an abomination to the Lord, you should perk up. That's a sign for you. I'm talking about signs tonight, all right? If, if someone comes in and says that I've got such a great investment, I'm only offering it to Christians. That's a sign that you should not invest. All right? And if the Bible tells you something is an abomination to the Lord, that's a sign that you should be careful about doing that. Very careful about doing that. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So the Bible covers this a couple different ways in this passage that identifies the things God finds hateful and detestable. But bearing false witness is one of those It is an abomination to the Lord. Things you claim to be true that are not, whether distorted facts or wrong opinions, these are falsehoods contrary to reality and God hates them. God's people follow the truth, love the truth, embrace the truth. We have no place then for lies. God promises that a false witness shall perish. Shall perish. That's what uh, that's that is in the imperfect there. A false witness shall perish. Imperfect means that or or the sense of the imperfect gives it this kind of impact. That he will keep on perishing and perishing and perishing and perishing. So this is not a one time destruction, but involves many destructions. Along the way, you'll be ruined by the lies you tell. Your reputation will be ruined by your bearing false witness. Your integrity will be ruined. Your ability to earn back the trust of others will be ruined. The confidence that people have in you will be ruined. And it's very possible that you also could, in fact, if you do it in the wrong place at the wrong time, you could... Be penalized by the magistrate if you bear false witness. Do not play loose with the truth. Now, the proverb makes an interesting contrast here. Might be hard for us to understand. We have a statement of fact here, and then the proverb uses antithetical parallelism. In fact, this verse and the next both use it. The second line is a contrast to the first line and the complete meaning of the proverb is found in the contrast between the two. So we have a slandering man who repeats a lie so much that he believes it to be true. And by his testimony causes others to believe it as well. And in contrast to him, we have a man who listens. Isn't that interesting? Who listens, doesn't gossip, but listens, doesn't hear half the story and repeat it like it's the whole story, but listens, doesn't criticize, but listens, doesn't repeat a matter, but instead gives a fair hearing. And when he speaks, he limits what he says To what he knows to be true. The word constantly is an interesting word. We think a man that heareth speaketh constantly. We think, you know, blabbermouth, right? That's not what it means. The Hebrew word combines both the sense of brilliance or glory. And endurance. Endurance. The idea is that the man who listens, who speaks only what he knows to be true and waits to speak beyond that. This man, his words have a perpetual luster about them. His words shine. And they last. They stick with you. They have an enduring glory, a lasting brilliance. About them. They don't fade away. But in fact. They grow brighter and brighter. Now maybe you've had this happen in the past. Where you talked to someone. And something they said just stuck with you. And it, you rolled it around in your mind. And you thought on that for a long time. And you remember it still. He spoke wisely. And you found yourself. Rehearsing. What he said. And the more you rehearsed it, the more it delighted you, blessed you, instructed you. Now, of course, we want to be wise. God wants us to be wise. He wrote the book of Proverbs so that we would be wise. It's characteristic of a wise man that his words are weighty and that they provoke thought and reflection. Daniel 12 and verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. God is promising that enduring brilliance to your words. If you listen, if you hear. But there's more, there's one more word to consider. The proverb says that the man that heareth, speaketh constantly what does that mean speaketh constantly is it talk a lot speaketh also is imperfect that means that he keeps on speaking and speaking and speaking keeps on speaking but of course we're exhorted to be swift to hear right slow to speak slow to wrath it doesn't really fit with hearing either to be speaking, right? How many of you can listen while you're talking? Uh, we taught the three-year-olds when I worked in three-year-olds years ago when I was training for ministry. I don't know what they thought would correlate between three-year-old ministry and pastoring a church, but you know, nobody knew I'd be pastoring then anyway. But we sang this song, When My Mouth Is Moving, My Ears Don't Hear you can't really be a great listener if you are a great talker. They don't really go together. The dictionary of Bible languages offers some interesting possibilities with speaking. The word can be taken to mean have descendants, a progeny in successive generations. It can mean speak, tell, say. Speak or talk in verbal communication with a possible focus on the allowed sounds and content of the verbalization, Now this is the realm of dictionaries right here. <laughs> that this, the focus is not on the mouth speaking, but on the sounds coming out of it which your ears gather, collect and form into words in your brain. So, what do we do with that? I thinking, OK. You just said two very different things. One, descendants. And the other, the sound that the words make as they, you know, do their thing. Coming through your vocal cords. When a man who hears, the man who considers carefully and makes sure he knows what he's saying before he says it. When that man speaks... The guy who is attentive, who listens before he speaks and reports only what he's heard. That guy, when he speaks, his words become like his descendants, his children. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says of Abel that he being dead, yet speaketh. So the Bible is saying that your words, when you are attentive, when you listen carefully and measure your words, that your words will live on beyond you, that they will take on a life of their own. When our students get up to 11th and 12th grade, we have them collect famous sayings, Good, great terms of phrase in a commonplace book, we call it. And they keep this quote book that they acquire and accumulate these quotes that they may be able to use them later on. And there are some really great quotes. But those great quotes outlived the one who gave them. And that's what the Bible is saying. He that, the man that heareth, speaketh constantly. His words are still speaking. They stay with you. You remember them. That's what the Bible is saying. His words stand unchallenged. They shine more and more in hearts, in the ears of those who hear it. People learn. Will we you remember? Well, okay. We'll, we'll date the audience here. Not date like, you know, have a date. But we'll, we'll uh, tag the older generation from the younger. Because the older generation will know when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. That's right. People listen until E.F. Hutton went bankrupt. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> We're not listening now, but uh, that was then. This is now. That's the idea. People are confident in what he says. They put stock in it. Right? The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs twelve nineteen. Let me say it again. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. The lie dies before you do. You want your words to outlive you. Such a person, again, a good listener, one who carefully weighs the facts and the evidence and considers carefully before he speaks, that person will speak continually. That is to say, whatever he says is never falsified, never silenced, never refuted. His truthful testimony. Cannot be challenged. And so Matthew Henry said the praise of him that is conscientious. He who hears, that is, obeys the command of God. Which is to speak every man truth with his neighbor. He who testifies nothing but what he has heard and knows to be true. Speaks constantly, that is, consistently with himself He is always in the same story. He speaks to the end. People will give credit to him and hear him out. He speaks unto victory. He carries the cause which the false witness shall lose. He shall speak to eternity. What is true is true eternally. The lip of truth is established forever. So that's the idea in this problem. So let me give you a couple takeaway points. Number one. Don't go off half-cocked. It is too easy to spout. And if you're one who's given to opinion, especially, most opinions that are spouted are half-baked as well. Don't go off half-cocked. Make sure you know what you're saying before you jump in to the conversation. And that brings us to the second point. Do your homework. Study, learn, read, listen, and do it before you speak, not after. Number three: measure your words. The Bible says, in the multitude of words, there oneth not sin. And it's easy to get going and you just always have to say something. Always have to in, insert yourself. Always have to interject. Always have to share an opinion or whatever. Measure your words. People who don't say as much are much more worth listening to, in my opinion or in my experience, perhaps. Measure your words. And number four, speak with wisdom. Speak with wisdom. We all need to be wise in what we say and how we say it. We're in a day and age, you know, you can talk about your Fifth Amendment or whatever, your rights to say whatever. But we're in a day where you better be measuring your words and making them count. And make, you know, the words of the wise, the Bible says, the words of the wise are like nails fastened by the master of assembly. They're, they're those hooks in the locker room wall that have been there since the 1950s and aren't coming down. All right, they're hung there. Not like, you know, in the bathroom at your new house. They didn't even use anchors. <laughs> <laughs> um, speak with wisdom. Speak with wisdom. All right. You want people to be able to hang, hang their hat on what you say. Alright, don't waste words. A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. A hardened face, Charles Bridges said, a hardened face without shame or blushing for sin is a fearful manifestation. No shame No regret on their face. It can be very difficult to hide what's going on in your heart. Because God made your face to reveal your attitude. The face is the window into your attitude. When Cain killed Abel, the Lord asked him, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance Fallen. It showed on his face. He could hide it. He could deny it. But it was there on his face. We should be most worried about a person who is able to conceal his true feelings behind a smiling face. And we've all encountered people like that who can lie to you with a straight face face, without batting an eye. That is a truly dangerous liar right there. A truly evil, wicked liar. The proverb makes an interesting contrast between the wicked man and the upright. And again, this is two in a row that are antithetical, uh, parallelism. So the the full meaning of the proverb is found in the contrast uh, between the two halves of the proverb. The comparison is made Between the countenance of the wicked man, notice this, he hardens his face, and the way of the upright. Of course, we note that the proverb makes a statement of fact here. It's important to notice that. So this is descriptive, both of the wicked man and of the upright man. This is a description, and, and it is, God is giving you this, In order to inform you so that you'll be aware. So that you'll know. The full point of the proverb is found in the contrast. Between this wicked man and the upright man. So let's break this down and uh, let's glean what the Lord has for us in this proverb. A wicked man hardeneth his face. The same Hebrew word is used in Proverbs 7 and verse 13. To describe the adulterous woman who lies in wait for the young man. Right? Uh, he passed through the streets near her corner. She catches him, right? And the Bible says, with an impudent face, says to him, my husband's not home. Come on in. That's what the Bible is talking about here. That hardened face. That brazen face, that brazen look. So the the hard word for, for hardeneth, the Hebrew word, means that his face is brazen, <laughs> obstinate, his jaw is set, his countenance hardened, hardened, he's defiant, and his countenance shows it. Certainly, all of us have seen various manifestations of this in our lives. Probably our moms, have corrected us for the look on our face before, which said the opposite of what our mouths were saying. And probably more than a few parents have encountered this hardened face with their children as well. From time to time, someone comes to me and their countenance makes it very difficult. Like right off the bat, I know that we're going to have a hard conversation right here because of the look, the hard look. On their face. Clearly we should take this the way Matthew Henry does. The presumption and impudence of a wicked man. His, he hardens his face. Brazens it. That he may not blush. Steals it. That he may not tremble when he commits the greatest crimes. He bids defiance to the terrors of the law. And the checks of his own conscience. The reproofs of the word. And the rebukes of providence. He hardens himself. And it shows on his face. He has determined to seek this thing that is wicked, that is wrong, that is against God. And he hardens his face. He sets his jaw. He is defiant and determined. He's going to do this thing. And notice the way the proverb uses the antithesis in this verse. Everything is contrasted. The wicked man with the upright, the wicked man's face with the upright man's way that's interesting it's important to notice this here so we have a contrast also between the hardened face and the directed or the margin says considered way the directed or considered way the hardened face the considered way or directed way are the, that's the contrast The Hebrew word rendered directeth can mean to establish, to prepare, to direct, to confirm. The King James includes the marginal reading considereth. Okay, so that tells you there's two ways that the word directeth can be taken and you should try to understand the word that way. Now the critical commentary says that he considers it and acts advisedly. He considers his way and acts advisedly. The um, one of the dictionaries says "directeth" means he directs it or right or he prepares it, makes it ready. And in fact, the Hebrew word "directeth" has that idea of preparation, of um, examining what he's going to do and and setting a course of. Action. So we can surely see why many see this as a contrast between stubbornness and tender heartedness. On the one hand, a mark of a wicked man is that he is implacable in his way. You can't turn him away from what he has decided to do. He's he's set his jaw. He's determined when you oppose him. In fact, He gets a hard look on his face. He becomes defiant. He becomes obstinate with it. On the other hand, the upright man demonstrates that he is upright by the way he considers his way and orders it according to the word of God. That's the contrast here between the person who has decided I'm going to do what I'm going to do and nobody's going to tell me different. And it shows on his face and the guy who says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the contrast here. So the Bible knowledge commentary says in his arrogance and hypocrisy, a wicked person puts up a bold front. He tries to persuade people to believe him, often by deceit and lies. On the other hand, a righteous or upright person reflects on his conduct, seeking to be honest, non-hypocritical, and consistent in all he does. Others add the element of concern about right and wrong, that the wicked man shamelessly tramples on the right and feelings of others, And are insensible to rebuke. So in other words, this wicked person, not only does it harden his face because he is resolved to do what he should not do. And he's defiant towards anyone who would stop him. But also, when he wrongs someone, there's no regret. There's no shame. There's no sorrow. He he just scoffs. You know, he'll have to deal with it. You don't like it? Just do something about it. Deal with it. Get over it. That's the attitude of the wicked man here. His face is hard before and after he commits a crime. The cr- contrast with the wise and godly person who directs his conduct with an understanding of the difference between right and wrong. So, so the, there's this contrast between the person who is hard-hearted, and obstinate. And wants to do what he wants to do. And the person who is careful. Who wants to please the Lord. That's the contrast that's being made here. Maybe we could say that the wicked man is sure he's right. And defies anyone to tell him otherwise. And the upright man wants to make sure he's right. And he's, he has a tender conscience. If someone objects to what he did. His desire to be sure, which is the idea of um, the the verse there, as for the upright, he directeth his way. That word has the sense of, sorry, lost my place here, Um, of giving thought to, directeth his way. Consideration. It has the idea of consideration. He considers his way, he makes it sure, he establishes it. So his desire to be sure that his actions are right is a stark contrast with the bullheaded bravado, one of the commentaries said it, of a wicked person who exercises no caution. The one fellow is brash and bold and impudent and obstinate. And the other is cautious, circumspect, is not... Forcing his way. He directs his way. By a safe and certain rule. And that rule of course is the word of God. So the proverb makes a contrast. Between the way a wicked man sets his face to do what's evil. No concern about the consequences. <clears throat> only concerned that he get what he want. And the contrast is with the way an upright man considers what he's doing in the light of God's word and is quick to acknowledge when he's been wrong. Charles Bridges said that the godly man directs his way by God's word. I like that. That's the meaning of directeth his way. He considers it, so he plans his way. He thinks about what he's going to do in light of what God says in his word. But also... He directs his paths according to the word of God. He is following God's word in what he does. In another proverb, the Bible calls this the wisdom of the prudent. Listen to Proverbs 14, verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, that's his wisdom. That he understands his way. And how does he understand his way? He's not just going casually through life. He's thinking about what he should do. What he should do. In the light of God's word. And examining and evaluating what he has done. In the light of God's word. Especially if someone is coming to him with an offense. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is to see. The wicked man... Makes up his mind to do a thing, right or wrong. And if you try to turn him from it, he hardens his face against you. And you can see it. When you say it to him, you can see it. A righteous man, in contrast to this, is careful to consider what Scripture says. And to direct his steps according to the Bible. (coughs) Tenderhearted. Hardhearted. Tenderhearted. So here are some points of application. Number one. Be aware of your countenance. Or maybe I should say, be aware of your countenance. When you're going into a thing, check your demeanor. Check your countenance. Check your face. You may tell yourself that you have the right spirit, but your face may say otherwise. Pay attention to that. Your face gets tense. You're, you, you know glaring growling that says the opposite of what you are telling yourself there now I know that face reading isn't infallible and sometimes you have to know the person to be able to read their face but certainly we can agree that face reading is meaningful and when your face is hardened it almost always shows that your heart is hardened as well. This kind of thing can be a problem because between married spouses, oh, you know the wife, she's angry at her husband, her husband can see it, right? What's wrong? nothing? Yeah, wives, if he's asked three times, you should just tell him. not keep saying nothing. Nothing. And husbands, your wife probably is more a face reader than what you are. Because some guys are pretty oblivious to all of that. But the wives are definitely not. They're much more tuned to it. When your face is hard, it almost always shows that your heart is hard as well. Children. Sometimes the kids, they talk to their parents, they answer their parents. And there's a hard look on their face. All right? Parents, be attuned to that. Note it. That needs to be dealt with. Whatever is causing that obstinance in their countenance is a a heart issue. And you should be aware of that and concerned about it. That hardened countenance can make a reasoned discussion difficult there. Somebody comes to me and their countenance is hard and angry, you know, or I guess if I do that to you, it just makes it hard to have a discussion because you know somebody's mad, somebody's upset. Number two, be tenderhearted towards the things of God and hardhearted towards the things of this world. It's not wrong to be hardhearted. It's wrong to be hardhearted towards God. It's wrong to be hard-hearted towards God's people. It's wrong to be hard-hearted towards your wife, towards your children, towards your family. There is a time, though, for you to set your jaw and set it against the world. And because Christians tend to be a little more tender-hearted and pliable in life, we need to be careful. Charles Bridges said an unfixed unresolved mind gives great advantage to the enemy's assault. And that's why I say you better harden your heart against the world. Not that you don't care about the world, understand. But you don't care about its influence. You are determined to follow Christ. The world can jeer and laugh and mock. Be tender-hearted towards the Lord. And hard-hearted towards the influence and approval of the world. And then the third thing is, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Make sure that you are walking in the ways of the Lord in all things. Regularly examine your own heart, your words, your countenance. Examine those. Make sure that they're...